in our world. We need to keep our priorities straight, though, in order to do that. And today I'm going to share some things out of Deuteronomy chapter 6 to 8 as we look at at, uh, this passage of Scripture to draw out some principles that can help us to live a God-centered life. Let's pray as we begin. Father, as we come before you today, I thank you that you are present with us, and I pray that you would speak to us through your word. I thank you for the truth that it contains, Old Testament and New Testament, that show us the importance of building our life upon the foundation of your word. Would you help us to do that today? Amen. Albert Einstein made the statement that out of complexity, find simplicity. Out of complexity, find simplicity. You know, that's a good word for the world that we live in, because the world we live in today is not simple. I mean, we know that. Uh, We live in a world in which we are facing an information overload. We have all kinds of things that are coming at us. You know, if you think of just the natural disasters that we hear about immediately from every part of the globe, we're aware of the wars that are going on. We're aware of the violence and unrest in the Middle East or struggles that our other countries are having with their economy or with our own. And all of that comes at us every single day. But it's not just news that we have to process. It's all the new skills that we need to learn or products that are on the market or new technologies to master and try to stay on top of as we go through life. Beyond that, more than that, we have our own personal commitments. And often we feel like there's just too much to do in 24 hours of the day. If you have children, you're trying to manage their schedules and extracurricular activities as well as your own. You know, there are meals to prepare, there's work to do, there's things at home and on the job. Maybe you want to have that personal exercise time and then there are meetings to go to. And our days are indeed quite full. And sometimes we feel like we just have no margin. No margin at all. No room for anything to go wrong or anything that's not planned to come into our day or it just throws everything off. It's hard to live like that, isn't it? And yet that's the pace that many of us feel. And in the midst of all of that, Tom Reiner has said, in the midst of all the noise, all the rush, all the change, all the busyness, and all the uncertainty, people long for simplicity. Isn't there some way, I mean, don't you kind of long for just a way to maybe pare life down and to make sure that you're doing first things first, the most important things each and every day? Even businesses are starting to focus on simplicity. Uh, Apple, for example, when they came out with the iPod and the iPad and the iPhone, have tried to take complex technology and make it very simple and easy to use. (laughs) There you go, yeah, you know. (laughs) That was good timing, that was cute. Just along that note, do you know that sometimes um, that what messes us up on our technology up on the computers is that Microsoft does their um, sending out new downloads or updates Sunday mornings. Obviously, they think businesses aren't meeting, and so Sunday mornings they do these things that can just interrupt while we're trying to do it, and a computer reboots in the middle of a worship service, and you're going, oh, man. All right. But there are other companies, too, that are focusing on simplicity. Papa John's Pizza says we focus on one thing, and we try to do it better than anyone else. 
I even my wife gets a magazine called Real Simple. Real Simple. It's one of the most popular magazines in America today, and it tells readers how to keep their house, their kitchen, and their meals simple. I also think that's why she married me, because I'm a real simple guy. And it's just, you know, it, it works. And we understand that. We kind of want to simplify our life if we can. Well, I want to tell you that at the heart, the Christian life is a pretty simple way of life, too. It's not meant to be complex. It's not meant to be difficult. It's meant to be simple at its heart. It's a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And what I want to talk about today are truths that were shared in the Old Testament that Jesus repeated in the New Testament that apply to our relationship with Him. When the Israelites were about to enter this new land, this promised land that God was going to give them, God commanded Moses to gather all the people and to instruct them. And He was going to lay out principles for them that would help them to live long in this land, to be prosperous, and to inherit all that God had for them. It was a second telling of the law. That's why it's called Deuteronomy. Deutero means second, and namas refers to law. A second giving of the law. But the principles we find in chapter 6 to 8 are the keys to living a God-centered life. Number one, we need worship. We need worship. We are to love God above all else. Let me read for us verses 1 to 9 in chapter 6. Moses writes that these are the commands, decrees, and laws of the Lord your God directed me to teach you, to observe in the land you are crossing the Jordan to possess, so that you, your children, and their children after them, you get the generations here that are involved, may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all of his decrees and commands that I give you, and so that you may enjoy long life. Hear, O Israel, and be careful to obey so that it may go well with you, and that you may increase greatly in a land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of your fathers, promised you. Hear, O Israel. In other words, listen up. Pay attention. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands. Bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Moses was giving them this instruction, that above everything else, we are to love God. God comes first in our life. And the heart of our relationship with Him is this personal encounter with the living God. And as we, as New Testament believers, we have come to know Him through Jesus Christ. Our faith is not a matter of rules. It's not a matter of do's and don'ts. At its heart, it is a relationship with the living God through His Son, Jesus Christ. And what Moses is saying here in verses 6 to 8, when he Stresses, you know, talk about these things when you're at home, when you're on the road, in all areas of life, teach them to your children. I mean, he is saying these things are so important that I want you to do whatever it takes to keep this in front of you. I want you to emphasize this. I want you to hear this, that God comes first in our life. And when God is first and we have that priority, everything else flows from that and everything else in life goes better. It's pretty simple, 
But we all know that healthy relationships take time and they take attention. Personal relationships take time or relationship with God does also. If I'm going to have a good marriage, you know, I need to spend time with my wife. We need to talk every day. We need to listen to one another. And if there's a disagreement or a conflict, then we need to work through it, make sure it's resolved. We need to show forgiveness and express that or show affection and tenderness. All of those things are part of having a healthy marriage relationship. With our children, if we're going to have a good relationship as fathers and sons or mothers and daughters, again, that takes time to talk, to work together, to play together, to share your life. And all the while, you're teaching your children both by your example as well as by what you say. Life is built on relationships. And our relationship with God is just like that. It takes time. And it means that we give attention to it. It's important to us. Some of you are here on Good Friday for our Seder service. And Rabbi Ed Rothman was out and he shared, uh, just from a Messianic Jewish perspective, some of the things that Jesus did in that Passover service that apply to our communion. And he talked about how Jesus in that setting used the language of a groom, what a groom would say to his bride-to-be in their betrothal. And how when they drank of the cup, it was sealing that commitment with one another. And he would be there at her father's home and they would have come to an agreement. And then he would say to her that I'm going away to prepare a place for you. And I will come again and take you to be with me. That's the language that Jesus used. That's the language a groom would use. Because he would return to his father's house and he would build on a room in addition and he would get everything ready and when that was ready he would come back and take his bride and they would be united in marriage. It's also interesting. uh, He would say as he stood in the doorway, he would say, I will not drink this cup again until I drink it anew with you in my father's house. And so he was saying, you know, like Jesus says to us at that Last Supper, he says, you know, I'm not going to drink from this fruit of the vine again until we drink it in my Father's house. And we're going to have a marriage celebration in heaven when the church is then united with Christ. What a beautiful picture. And even the language when Jesus was asked, when will this be? And he said, you know, no one knows the hour except the Father. That too was typical in that Jewish custom. Because if it were up to the groom, you know, he'd probably slap something up real quick and grab his bride and bring her back so that they could be together. But no, it was his father who would say when things were ready and all was prepared. And the time was then when the groom could take his bride. And so Jesus says, no one knows the hour except the Father in heaven when he will return for his bride. It's all about relationship. The language that he uses is one we can understand. We understand what marriages are like. We understand what weddings are and what it means to be committed committed to one another. You can think of it too with Peter when he reinstated, excuse me, when Jesus reinstated Peter after his betrayal. Remember Peter denied Jesus three times, denied even knowing him. And now he meets him on the shore of the Sea of Galilee and Jesus reinstates him, assures him of his love. Jesus didn't use the language of business. He didn't use kind of a job performance. And Peter, you know, you just didn't measure up here. There was unsatisfactory in your conduct and you failed in these areas. He didn't do that. He used the language of relationship. 
friendship. And he said, Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? Then feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Lord, you know that I love you. Then tend my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Feed my sheep. It's all about relationship. And when we keep that in mind in our relationship with God, it's a little bit easier and life goes better. What the Old Testament did was it built into life a pattern for worship, one day in seven. It built into life celebrations and offerings, sacrifices and confession of sin to teach us that we need to keep our relationship with God healthy and strong. Because there are things that get in the way of it, like our sin. Or we can forget God and be so busy with our life and other things that we neglect Him. And you know, we need that. I need that. I need worship. I need fellowship. I need prayer and time with God and accountability in my relationship with Him. Or I will drift in my relationship with God. I need you. And I need to spend that time with God. We all do. And when my heart is right, my relationship with God, you know, all those other things that God asks us to do are not a burden, they are a joy. But if my attitude stinks and my heart is not right with God, then I don't want to do a lot of things. It's just the way we are. And so it's so important that we keep our heart right and we focus on what's most important. And another part of what the Scripture taught us was, again, don't give God leftovers. Don't see how little you can give to God and then get by. Give Him the very best. Let me illustrate in this way. You know, Mother's Day is coming up. Okay? There's a warning. Mother's Day is coming up. All right? And as kids, imagine, you know, as a kid, if you went to your mom and you said this, Mom, how little can I spend on your gift and not be in trouble? What would you think? I mean, that wouldn't go very well, would it? You know, that, that would just, that's not the right tone. That's not the right message you want to send. And yet sometimes that's what people do with God. God, how little can I give you and not be in trouble with you? How little can I give you and, you know, still get into heaven and be okay? Don't give God leftovers. Give God your best. Your heart, your life, your attention, your gifts. Out of what you have, give back to Him. Because God honors those who honor Him. And He will bless that. Secondly, we need to grow. We need to be growing in our relationship with Him every day. That's where life is and that's when things flourish. And so what we need to do is build our life on the Word of God. And we see that in Deuteronomy chapter 8. If you just flip a couple chapters ahead, I'd like to read verses 1 to 3. He says, Be careful to follow every command I am giving you today so that you may live and increase and may enter and possess the land that the Lord promised on oath to give your forefathers. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the desert these 40 years to humble you and to test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep His commands. And He humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your fathers had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Look at the words that Moses used to describe how important this is to God. He says, be careful. Pay attention. This is important. Remember how the Lord your God led you, how He humbled you, how He tested you, and how He provided for you to know what was in your heart. 
Why did he do this? He did all of these things to teach us that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. That there's more to life than just our physical needs, our spiritual needs are extremely important. And when we come to learn that God comes first and His Word is important to us, He guides and directs us each day. In verses 10 to 14 of that chapter, Moses said, Don't forget the Lord. Don't forget. When you have eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord your God for the good land He's given you. And be careful that you don't forget the Lord your God by failing to observe His commands, His laws, His decrees that I'm giving you this day. You see, there is a danger with prosperity, he is saying. That we can, when we prosper and do well, we can begin to think that we did that. You know, kind of, I'm pretty good, or I accomplished this, or look at what I built, or all those kind of things. And, and we can think that somehow it was our intelligence, our skills, our gifts, our hard work that did all of this. And we don't need God, or we forget God. People forget God. Nations forget God. America has forgotten God. America is enjoying the fruit of the blessings that He has given and yet increasingly seems to be turning their back upon Him. There's a danger also with busyness. We can come to think that everything else in our life is so important that we don't have time for God. There was a survey done of thousands of Christians and people outside of the church as well, and it asked them, What is the one thing that keeps you from knowing God better? What's the one thing that keeps you from knowing God better? Do you know what the number one answer was? It was, I'm too busy. I'm too busy. Now, isn't it ironic that in the early church they could endure persecution, imprisonment, and poverty and still grow in their relationship with God and we let something as trivial as, I got too much to do, get in the way? It's a matter of priorities and choices. We who have been given so many privileges, don't let busyness crowd out the things that are most important. Put God in there, in your relationships first and build your life upon His Word. You see, that's the answer. The answer, again, is to build our life on the Word of God. We are to be like the blessed man in Psalm 1, where God says, happy is the man who does not walk in the way of sinners, but his delight again is in the law of the Lord. And he's like a tree firmly planted by streams of water. He is continually refreshed by the word and he is continually bearing fruit in his relationship with God. Jesus said the same thing. We're to be like a fruitful vine attached to him, abiding in him, (coughs) excuse me, abiding in his word and bearing fruit in our life. In John 15:7 and 8, he gave us this remarkable promise. He said, If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it shall be given to you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. If you abide in me, my words abide in you, ask what you wish and it will be given to you. That's an amazing promise. The power of prayer that comes when we are a people who walk with God in fellowship. You see, the key to a fruitful life is to abide in Christ and to abide in His Word. It's not hard. It's not complex. But it does take a commitment on our part to do it. And when you hear it that way and you think, you know what, this really is pretty simple. Why do I let all this other stuff get in the way of what is most important? 
And so if you're here today and you're thinking, you know what, I really have never established a habit in my life of a quiet time or reading the Scripture or studying the Word of God, I really need that, I want that. You know, talk with Pastor Jason, talk with me, get involved in our adult ministries where we can help you to grow in the Word and in your relationship with Him. Thirdly, we need to serve. We need to serve. We need to use our gifts to the fullest for God's glory. Again, going back to chapter 6, verse 13 and what follows, Moses said this, He said, Fear the Lord your God and serve Him only and take your oaths in His name. Do not follow other gods, the gods of the peoples around you. For the Lord your God who is among you is a jealous God. He is jealous for you. He wants you to have that personal relationship with Him. And His anger will burn against you and He will destroy you from the face of the land. Don't test the Lord your God as you did at Massa, but be sure to keep the commands of the Lord your God and the stipulations and decrees that He has given you. Do what is right and good in the Lord's sight so that it may go well with you and you may go in and take over the good land that the Lord promised on oath to your forefathers, thrusting out all your enemies before you as the Lord said. So here is his command, fear the Lord and serve him only. Jesus said in Luke 16, No servant can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and he will despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Got to make your choice. What comes first? Paul said in Colossians 3, Whatever we do, we should do it as working for the Lord. It is the Lord Christ we are serving. There was an interesting assignment given by a psychology professor to his students in college. He said, I want you to take one day or an evening and I want you to spend one day doing something you really enjoy. Some fun activity, whether it's going to a game or a movie or eating out or whatever it is you really like to do. Spend one day doing that and I want you to spend another day doing an act of service. I want you to be involved in some activity where you're helping somebody or you're helping a particular organization that meets the needs of people. And then I want you to write about both, how you felt, what you experienced. And he initiated a debate in his class about whether happiness comes more readily from acts of kindness or from having fun. And the results were life-changing. The afterglow of helping someone or doing an act of kindness far outlasted the joy of watching a movie or going to a game or eating a hot fudge sundae. When we are involved in helping and serving, oh, the joy that comes back. You know, we just feel blessed in the process of being able to minister or serve or see God use us to impact somebody else's life. The Scripture calls us to give our life away. And service involves ministry both inside and outside of the church. Today we had a ministry fair kind of highlighting what God's doing in the different areas of the ministries in our church. And Boy, I encourage all of you to find that place where you can give your gifts and give your time and be involved in serving others. And also, our goal in this, it's not self-serving. It's not just doing all of those things inside the church, but it's reaching out in the community. The goal is to multiply our life into the lives of others. We do that in evangelism when we share Christ with those who don't know Him. 
We do it in discipleship when we are making multiplying disciples who will work with others. We do it when we mentor, come alongside of younger students or kids who need a mentor, a role model. We can do it by teaching and training, by giving, good stewardship, or being involved in missions and in meeting the needs of people in our community. Most of us are familiar with the Salvation Army, and there was a time once when William Booth, its founder, was unable to speak at a conference because of an illness. And so he sent his message to the conference. It was just one word. It was the word, others, others. Think of others. Life goes better when we put God first, when we're building our life upon the foundation of His Word, and we are serving others. You know, we see that in the life of Jesus, who came, to be, who came not to be served, but to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many. Now, I'm going to take just an additional minute here and share with you another observation that connects these passages, Old and New Testament, together. You know where else we find these words of Scripture in the New Testament? They are all found early in Jesus' ministry in Matthew chapter 4 when Jesus was tempted in the wilderness. And Satan came to him and he said, You know, why don't you, you're hungry, why don't you turn these stones into loaves of bread? And Jesus replied and he said that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Satan tempted him to cast himself down, saying the angels will catch you and pick you up and you'll be famous, you know, and, and God will rescue you. And he said, you shall not test the Lord your God, just like at Massa. And thirdly, Satan came and he said, you know, if you will bow down and serve me, I'll give you all these kingdoms of the world. And Jesus replied by saying, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. All three quotes come from Deuteronomy 6-8. to And where the Israelites failed in the wilderness and forgot God and did not listen to these words and keep them in front of them, Jesus Christ succeeded. And He's our example. And when He lives in us, He makes all the difference because He can enable us to do these things by His power. To worship God with all our heart, to love Him and to serve Him and to keep our relationship with Him fresh. So what are the keys to a God-centered life? It's pretty simple. We need worship. Love God above all else. We need to be growing in our relationship with Him. Build your life on the Word of God. And we need to serve. Use your gifts to the fullest for God's glory. Let's pray. Father, I thank You for the truth of Your Word. And I pray that in the busyness of our days and all that there is to do, that we would not neglect our relationship with You. Father, help us to put You first. And today we just confess that. Maybe there's something that comes to mind for You right now that we have missed it or we've not been giving You the priority in our life that we need to. Father, help us to put You first, to grow in our relationship with Christ, and then to use our gifts to bless others, to multiply our life and to build up a whole new generation of young children and adults who will follow you with all their heart. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.